Welcome to Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. Are you hungry to hear more about our beautiful Savior Jesus? Well, the Bible declares that grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of Jesus. Join me for revelatory teaching, interviews with leaders in the body of Christ, and testimonies of God's goodness in your life. Thanks for joining the conversation to reveal more of Jesus to a hurting world today. But really, the benefit of communion is Jesus, and every benefit that we have is found in Him. It's just, think of like Ephesians 1 verse 3, it talks about how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so when we meet with Jesus, then we meet with the one in whom all blessing is found. But before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our Christina Prayer Ministry sponsors who help support the mission to unite the body of Christ and fulfill the Great Commission with love. A big shout out to Gopher Ministries who provides all of our equipment for our gospel events. Davis Financial Services, who does all of our financial accounting. Harvest Family Network, through which I am licensed and ordained. And Life Changing Productions, who helps put together evangelistic events to reach our city for Jesus. If you or your organization are interested in becoming a CPM sponsor, you can find out more information on our website at ChristinaPereira.org. Do you have a loved one's special occasion coming up and don't know what to get them? Well, now you can sponsor an episode of Revealing Jesus in their name. And you can give them a special dedication message read on air. It makes a great gift. To find out more information, just go to christinaperreira.org slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I'm so excited to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in heaven. I've got a great show for you today. I have an amazing leader in the body of Christ with me today. He is a PhD, an ordained pastor, and he is the author of the new book, The Lord's Supper our promised place of intimacy and transformation with Jesus. I have with me here today, Jonathan Black. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's a great joy to be with you today. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, when I saw your book, I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. This is definitely for revealing Jesus. So thank you for being here with me. Oh, great. Well, I've told our listeners a lot about you. Maybe you can share with them something personal just to help get to know you. Mm, well, I come from Northern Ireland, which is why I have a strange accent that everyone immediately notices. But I did live in the United States for a little while when I was young. I used to live in the state of Delaware. Other than that, I've lived in England and in Belgium as well. Mm, I love that. And I absolutely love your accent as well. <laughs> It's amazing. I've been told I have a Southern accent. I don't know if it's quite as amazing as yours. <laughs> I think I'd rather have yours, but such is life, right? <laughs> well, since this is revealing Jesus, I have to ask you how you met our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Oh, what a great big question to begin with. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I was born in a Christian family. I believe the very first Sunday of my life, I was taken along to church by my parents. And so I always grew up going to church, going to Sunday school. And so I always heard about Jesus in church. I always heard about Jesus at home. My parents would read the Bible to me, read scripture stories to me. We would pray together at home. So I grew up in that environment where I was always hearing about Jesus. But one day, really strangely, this is the only thing I can remember from that age. But when I was three years old, I remember one Sunday night coming home from church. And every Sunday night, we always had what was called a gospel service. And it was always preaching about what Jesus has done for us. And I remember that night suddenly realizing that all that I knew about how Jesus had come into the world and died on the cross and risen again, that I had grown up knowing that Jesus did this, but I suddenly realized that night that it was for me that he did it. And I went home from church that night and I remember sitting in the sofa at the end of the kitchen and asking my parents about what should I do? Because I knew that it was for me that Jesus died on the cross. And they prayed with me and I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And ever since, I've just wanted to get to know him better <laughs> and to love him more. I love that so much. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I really believe salvation happens when it becomes so personal for us. Yeah. And it was for me. It was for me. It is that personal trusting in Jesus. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that. Well, I have loved reading through your new book, The Lord's Supper. You know, for years, the Lord has been teaching me about the power of communion, but there was so much in your book that I hadn't yet learned. And I specifically loved reading through the Reformation history of communion. Can we talk about that a little bit for our listeners? Oh, yeah, certainly. I, I think that's something maybe we don't think about quite so much because, you know, whenever we're in church, we're not talking about history, we're talking about the Bible. And so sometimes maybe we don't know some of the history of where things have gone off track in the past and where the Lord has intervened in history to bring things back on track. And mm -hmm. the Reformation was just one of those times when, really, it was a great revival when so many people were brought back to that personal knowledge of Christ, that personal trust. In fact, just what we've been talking about is mm -hmm. that realizing not just that Jesus died, but that knowing that you can trust him for yourself, that you can entrust your life to him, that he has done everything that's needed for your salvation. And because the Lord's Supper is so connected to that message of what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection, that became a really big issue during the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was so interesting because when we often think about Reformation, we think about Martin Luther and we think about, you know, salvation coming by grace alone and not works. Mm -hmm. But I loved how you talked about how the communion was tied into that. And you're absolutely right. Down through history, the Lord has been restoring things that were taken from the body of Christ and just truths that he really died to give us. And Martin Luther's salvation by grace alone, that was one of them. And right now, I firmly believe we are going through another reformation where reformers are rising up to help really declare the truth of who Jesus is. And I was rejoicing to see it in this book, to see the Lord's Supper exalted to that place. So some of the church 
fathers of the Reformation. They all had different ideas on, you know, about what is the broken bread? Is the cup of the covenant, is it really the body of Christ that we're really taking with us? And you talked about it being his presence actually being in it. Can you talk about that a little bit with our listeners? Yeah. So I think uh, I come from Northern Ireland. And so I come from a country that's very much divided between Catholics and Protestants. And so a lot of Christians sort of think of what they believe about the Lord's Supper in terms of what the other type of people don't believe. That we, we sort of think of ourselves as opposites or something like that. And so I think that the fact it's not just in my country, but in many countries, the way we think about the Lord's Supper, that we think that the idea of Jesus being present, that's what somebody else believes. That's what another church tradition believes or something like that. And and we can assume that the Reformation was just the opposite of that. And so we can almost get to the point where we believe that the Lord's Supper is the one place that Jesus isn't, um, that it's just a time where we do something to jog our memories about what he's done, but he's certainly not there. But that's not really what happened in the Reformation at all. There were different points of view among the Reformers. Calvin and Luther and Zwingli each had a different approach to the Lord's Supper. But they all agreed that when we come together to break bread, Jesus is present and we meet with Jesus. And that's the most important um, thing about it, that some of those debates between them are quite interesting to get into. But the thing that united them all was that we come to this supper not to do something for God, not to earn something from God, but we come to this supper because that's where the one who has died for our sins and risen again for us has invited us to come and meet with him that Jesus is there in all his grace and all his power and all his glory and so we can come and we can know his grace to meet our need as we meet with him at his table we can know his his power in whatever situation we're in as we come and meet with the true and living savior at his table I love that so much. And truly, before reading your book, I had no idea there was such controversy regarding those things, but it was interesting. So I was asking the Lord as I was reading through, and I said, Lord, what do you say? And he said this to me. He said, is a person not one with his own body? And I said, Mm -hmm. yes, Lord, he is. You know, he created us in his image, body, soul, and spirit. We're, We're tripart beings. And we are one with our soul. We are one with our body. We are one with our spirit. We are one being. And so I was like, wow, because to really approach the communion, just knowing the holiness of what we have in our hands. You talked about some of the church fathers and you gave some of the testimonies, I believe some of the first martyrs and how they were unwilling to hand over these precious, precious elements to unbelievers. Can you share one of those stories with our listeners? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you the story about Tarsisius. Um, I love Tarsisius. I had no idea who he was until a couple of years ago. Um, uh, but I have, I have a picture of him in my office in college now because uh, we, we used to have um, every day before the pandemic came along, we had a daily communion service in college. Mm. And um, in the college chapel, it used to actually be a nunnery many years ago 
and before it became a Pentecostal theological college. So it has all these stained glass windows that nobody really pays terrible lot of attention to. And when I arrived, there was this big speaker sitting in the window and eventually it got mounted up on the wall and suddenly we could see what was on the window behind it. And it was this image of this young guy with palm branch. And that's like the sign of a martyr is a palm branch. And then there was a little sort of like story of his life in picture form at the bottom of the window. And it showed him carrying the bread of the Lord's Supper. And then he was attacked by this mob uh, and he's stoned by them, but he won't let go of the supper. So I went to find out about him and find out what, what was going on in, in these pictures in the window. And it turns out way, way back in the really early history of the church, he was a deacon in a church in Rome and it was a time of persecution for the church and lots of Christians had been arrested, but the church wanted them to know that they're, they're not forgotten about just because they can't come and gather with the rest of the church on Sunday, that they're still part of the one body of Christ. And so they would send someone out from church every Sunday with the bread and wine from the Lord's table to take to the Christians that were in prison. Uh, and it was Tarsitius's job to take the communion to the Christians who were suffering for their faith in prison. And so this pagan mob comes along uh, and they realize that he's doing this all the time, that this seems to be something important for the Christians. So they realize he's got something precious and they want it. And he won't hand over uh, the, the communion to this pagan mob. Wow. For him, it's just far too precious that, you know, this is where the Lord promises to meet with us in this bread mm. and wine. That as we take part in the Lord's Supper, that we have something more precious than any meal we could ever have on earth because we're, we're meeting with the one who is seated in heaven. Um, and so Tarsus refuses to hand it over to them. And so they start to attack him. They beat him up. Um, and eventually they stone him to death um, because he refuses, even at the point of death, uh, to hand over uh, the communion to them because for him, this is the most precious thing in the world. Mm. Wow. You know, I think for so many, communion has simply become a ritual. But to see how the cup and the bread was honored and deemed so precious and valuable. As I was reading that story in your book, I was thinking those unbelievers must have realized the power of that communion. Yeah. And that's why they wanted it. You said something else really powerful in your book, and I really agree with this. You said they came together to break bread. They didn't come together to hear the most popular speaker or even the Apostle Paul at the time. Yeah. And she was, you know, one of the greatest apostles of grace there is. And that's not why they came. They came to break bread. And I thought, wow, if we make that fundamental shift in how we approach the communion, just in how we value it, and how we come together to break bread in his presence and to feast on him. Mm. What would that do to the church? I mean, when we come together to break bread, that means that Jesus is the person who is at the center of everything. Mm -hmm. That so often in our culture, we can be tempted to go to a particular meeting because there's a well-known preacher or something like this. Mm -hmm. But 
might be a faithful servant of God who's lifting up the name of Jesus, but sometimes yeah. it gets our thinking about them a little bit in the, in the wrong way. Yes. And especially we've seen the last couple of years how we've seen all sorts of bad things happen in the life of the church when sort of like celebrity status for preachers mm -hmm. or whatever becomes the central thing. And we've seen sometimes that has led to some really sad stories. But when Jesus is the most central thing in the church, that's going to transform everything because we're not being molded into a, a sort of something similar to the culture we live in where celebrities lifted up, but rather we're being molded into that image and likeness of Christ whenever he is at the center, that we want to be changed from glory to glory as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we put Jesus at the center, whenever we gather, our purpose in gathering is to meet with him at his table. As we come every week to proclaim again the Lord's death until he comes, mm -hmm. that we're being refreshed constantly by the good news of the grace of Jesus. He is the center point of our worship. And that's going to affect everything we do, because if that's what's at the center, if the Lord's Supper is at the center of our worship, then what we sing, what we say, our preaching, everything is going to be focused towards Jesus if the supper is at the center. Mm. I love that so much. You know, it's so in line with my heart. I believe, just like we were talking about earlier, that he did what he did. He gave his body and his blood for me specifically, for you specifically, for every believer who trusts in him. Mm -hmm. And it's personal. And when that's our focus, when that's our ministry focus, that's where we see true transformation happen. Just like you said, you know, we're not transformed through motivational messages. We're transformed through hearing the gospel. And it's not something that we hear once. It's something that we hear absolutely every single day, every single day, because there's things that come up. There's challenges, there's opportunities, there's attacks of the enemy, there's you know, places we're learning and growing, and we have to have our eyes constantly fixed on the person and the work of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, if we want to live that victorious Christian life. Mm. And I believe that that's a place where we've been historically missing it. But as I said, I was rejoicing to see this book, rejoicing to see all of the reformers arising and exalting Jesus to his rightful place. I'm so excited about what you've just said about how we need the gospel each and every day. And that's what we need. We all need to realize that we need the gospel every day, that the yeah. gospel isn't just the like, entrance way into the Christian life, but yeah. it is the foundation every day for the Christian life that you can never go beyond the cross. You can only go deeper into that knowledge of what Jesus has done for us to see more and more of the glory of the cross, to see more and more of just how beautiful, how marvelous our Savior really is. And we need that each and every day.
Jesus longs to encounter you and transform your life. If you're feeling the lack of God's presence or believing for breakthroughs, you are invited to partake of the Holy Communion. I've got a great resource for you, the Lord's Supper, our promised place of intimacy and transformation with Jesus. Written by theologian Jonathan Black, invites you to partake in Christ's feast in his new book. With warmth and depth, Jonathan explores how Jesus' invitation to participate in communion is a call to partake in his promises of presence, healing, forgiveness, glory, victory, and intimacy. Christ's table is still a powerful, life-changing place of transformation. And just for being a Revealing Jesus listener, you get 40% off and free shipping with promo code REVEALINGJESUS at familyownedbakerbookhouse.com. So pick up a copy today and experience the Lord Jesus' presence in a new way. Just head to the link in the show notes. And I, I really love the way that the Lord tied in the Lord's Supper. This was his idea. You know, yeah. he often is so generous, more generous than we can ever imagine. And he loves to feed us. And so, you know, when we come to that place, it's just another opportunity to feast on his goodness. Yeah. And he fills us with himself, fills us with his life. I love mm. that Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And oftentimes when me and my family, we take communion together at the table at dinner. And we will often raise our glasses and we will say, Laheim, to life, to life and life abundantly. Because this is what he's brought for us. This opportunity to bring healing, to bring strength and comfort into our lives. Let's talk about the benefits of communion. Okay. Can you share some of those? I feel like we could go on and on forever. <laughs> See oh, if we yeah, can do it in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, because what, whenever we think about the benefits of communion, on the one hand, we could talk about so many benefits of communion, but really the benefit of communion is Jesus. And every benefit that we have is found in him. It's just... Think of like Ephesians 1 verse 3, it talks about how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so when we meet with Jesus, then we meet with the one in whom all blessing is found. So when we come to the Lord's table, we meet with Jesus, who is the one who forgives our sins, and we can come and know his cleansing power um, at the Lord's table. But when we come to communion as well, we meet with the one who is the healer. So many stories of people who have been healed at the mm -hmm. Lord's table. I've seen it in my own ministry. I know it through history. That reality that it's not that there is something you know, magical in the cup that heals. It's because we come to Jesus and he is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who pours out the Spirit. And he's done that so many times at communion. He's filled people with his Spirit. Revivals have broken out at communion services. And sometimes we can think of the healings and the revivals and things like that and the big dramatic things. But very often it's benefits that maybe are a little bit quieter that we encounter in Christ because Jesus is there for us in every situation. And when we are going through difficult times, he meets us with his peace and with his deep joy, he meets us with his strength to persevere. He meets us with every blessing that we need in him. And so sometimes that looks spectacular. Sometimes that 
might come in a very hidden way. Sometimes we might be overwhelmed with emotion at the Lord's table. Sometimes we might not feel huge emotion at all, but the Lord is faithful to his promise and he's meeting us and he knows the best way to meet us and he knows exactly what he needs to do in our lives each time that we come to him. Mm, I love that so much. It's absolutely like Jesus. He's so full of Mm. everything that whatever it is that we need, he is so faithful, whether it's just like you said, whether we need peace, whether we need healing, whether we need comfort, whatever it is. And I really believe the Lord's Supper is a point of contact for the New Covenant Church to touch, to taste, to see the goodness of God. Yes. It's a place to engage our faith. Sometimes I've heard it taught that we examine ourselves, but I really believe that the Lord's intention is for us to be reminded of the work of Jesus, where we are to examine what Jesus has done for us, Mm -hmm. really. And it's not the places that we've fallen short. It's what he's done, his faithfulness. Yeah, because there's so many people get a bit scared and they examine themselves and then they think, oh dear, I I better not take communion this week or something like that. Yeah. But actually the scripture says that a man examined himself and then let him eat. So the examining ourselves is actually a call to run to Jesus Mm -hmm. and to, to come to him in our need, to come to him for his forgiveness, for his cleansing. To The examining ourselves isn't a sort of turning in and saying, oh, I'm really good, I'm worthy this week. But it's looking in and saying, okay, we aren't worthy in ourselves. That's what the grace of God is. That, yeah. that we haven't earned this. Yeah. But we look instead out to Jesus. We look up and out to Jesus and see what he has done for us. We see he is our perfect righteousness. He is the one who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that call to examine ourselves is always really a call to look to Jesus and trust again personally. Back to that personal trust again. It's not just we're looking to Jesus and remembering, oh yeah, there's the historical fact that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but we're looking to Jesus and saying, yeah, for that sin that I've committed, he has paid the price for me uh, and I can run to him now. I don't need to hide from the Lord in my sins. Don't have to be like Adam and Eve in the garden Mm -hmm. trying to hide, but instead I can run to the Lord trusting that he is my savior he has done this for me Mm, so good absolutely absolutely and you know the crux of the new covenant is all about receiving because of the work of another and so this is just another opportunity for us to shift our mindsets and think i'm here at the table to receive not to do not to earn but to sit to eat to rest to receive because another has performed perfectly in my place. Yeah. Okay. One of the ways we speak about communion, sometimes maybe we need a wee shift in our language mm. that helps us remember that. Because sometimes we talk, say things like to take communion, mm-hmm. but we don't take anything the Lord gives. So we simply receive communion, that it's not about what we do taking it, but it's about what the Lord has done for us in Jesus. And so we freely receive from what he has done. Amen. 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 Well, is there anything burning on your heart you'd like to say directly to our listeners today? I think what is always burning on my heart to say to anyone is that we just need 
Jesus to be at the center of everything. We can get so caught up in our questions about the how, how do we do this, or sort of the peripheral questions that come up around something, um, and we get distracted from what's central into all the details of the practice. Uh, and that can be so often the case with communion that uh, we can get distracted. Um, if you go into a different church uh, that's not your own church and they do things in a slightly different way, you get a bit distracted about how to second communion work in this context. But we need to keep our focus not on those sort of round the edge things about communion, not on those practical things or the things that might be cultural in a specific place, but keep our eyes on what is central. And central to it all is those words that Jesus gave that are repeated in each account of the Lord's Supper being instituted, that this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That it's Jesus' own words that point us back to the gospel and what he has done for us each and every time we take communion. We don't need to be creative when it comes to communion. We don't need to sort of like put some meaning of our own into it, <laughs> but rather Jesus has given us something really simple to do that doesn't need to be overly complicated because it's not about our creativity and what we do, but it's the simplicity that points us always back to him and what he has done for us and what we've received in him. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And, you know, I'm so thankful that this is something that we can do in our own homes. We can do as believers around our dinner tables. We can do that with our church family. And it's very, very simple, very simple. Oftentimes my family and I, we have this little book on Holy Communion and one of us will go around and we'll read just like a small section of it. And we have crackers that we keep on our table and we just do it together to remember him and remember that he is our family source, you know, and it's such a beautiful thing. You don't have to wait to be in church to do it. You can do it with the Lord. And for many years, when I was very, very sick, the Lord told me very specifically to take communion every day. And he brought great healing, great healing. Sometimes it was instantaneous, and then there were other times he touched me, you know, in other ways through his spirit. But I know this, however he touches you, However, you commune with him in those moments, it is powerful. Mm. Whether it is peace, it is healing, it is protection, it is powerful because he's involved. Yeah, he is gracious to us and his mercies are new every morning.